0: good morning my name is spencer i am one of the pastors here we are continuing to walk through the book of philippians we're in chapter one still uh we're going to be in the second half of verse 18 all the way through verse 26 so you can follow along with us on the screen you also can follow along in a blue bible it's on page 570 you can track along with us so the other day it dawned upon me that my oldest uh, is going to turn nine this year, which means that we're kind of at the halfway point of her being in the house, God willing. Uh, and that there's not a lot of years left to really you know, influence, to be able to show her what it means to love Christ, what it means to display that love to others, what it means to uh, have a gospel-centered life like we don't have as much time. It's And I'm also... You know i'm not naive i understand that when she gets more into uh you know the teenage years that my influence is going to wane a little bit in her life as she starts to become her own adult uh person but it's just i mean it's kind of hit me honestly like, oh man um you know we you know we read the bible at night we do some worship songs at night we, we try to have some time where we talk about applying god's word to um their lives and to our lives and it's like i want to i want to maximize this time as much as possible because i'm losing it the time is 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 running away And that's going to happen with each of my children as they get older and as they get closer and closer to 40 which is typically the time where a lot of men start to ask big life questions because you're at the halfway point of life and you're like i i mean this is like i'm i'm nearing i'm nearing the end the halfway points is going to keep going like and that's when you know midlife crises come into play and people make sometimes really bad decisions uh you know some of those are less bad than others uh, you know some might say I'm, I'm gonna get a car. I gotta get I gotta get the car because if I don't get the car Like I'm, what am I doing if I'm I gotta travel I gotta get to Europe. I gotta do this I gotta do that. There's all types of things some things are, I think are good people might say I gotta go back to school I gotta refocus I gotta you know join a gym do CrossFit whatever it is like I But there's just this evaluation when you understand that time is a finite resource and you don't have much of it left well, What are you actually going to do? That reality check dawns upon us and it does leave you asking questions like i'm just like am i am i always going to drive a prius is that how this is like i mean i'm just kind of piecemealing this car together as it goes like am i am i going to like keep wearing flannels and rocking beards i started that trend like in my early 20s and it's i mean it just kind of continued like those can like fall upon you and you start to reevaluate and i think to have the really the the finite nature of time and really, the reality that death will one day come to us all, I think that's actually a good thing to do. I don't think you should do that at 40 years old. I think you should regularly, as a Christian, think about that reality and to make the best use of our time and to live the best life that you could possibly live, that we should ask the question, what is the, what is the ultimate life worth living? Now, I have good news for us today. The book of Philippians, and where we're at in this part of the book, speaks directly to that. It gives us, if you're asking questions about how should I live my life, but is the best possible life I could live, we're at the place that absolutely addresses that. God has a good word for us today. So I want to pray for us as we really lean into that question. And then we'll walk through the text together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us be open to receiving your word and that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers. And that comes through first acknowledging the gospel and trusting in you and out of that faith comes repentance that changes the way we live so that we can worship and honor and delight in you. God, I pray that you would do that work within us this morning so that we might be a people that take this life seriously. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been in Philippians in chapter one for a bit. One of the things we've seen the last few weeks is that Paul in his imprisonment as he's in Rome, he's in prison and house arrest. The Philippians, they're, they're exchanging letters. In this letter, he's talking about how his imprisonment is being used to advance the gospel. It's encouraging believers, Christians on the ground in Rome. And he was excited about that, even as we saw last week, that there are some people who are preaching from bad motives, from selfish ambition, a rivalry with Paul, but there are others who are preaching with good motivations. And he goes, regardless of the motivations, I'm just jacked. I'm rejoicing because the gospel is being preached because Christ is being proclaimed. So he's at this moment where he's just rejoicing that Christ is being preached and he has something else to rejoice about in the back end of verse 18 when we pick up when he says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That's his rescue. He's going to be rescued. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's not just rejoicing that the gospel is being being preached and being proclaimed. He's also rejoicing because he's going to be delivered. And this is, I don't want us to miss this, this isn't the main point of this, but he says, due to your prayers, to the prayers of the Philippian Christians and the work of the Spirit, that he's going to be delivered, which just should really center us on, like prayer is unbelievably important. God accomplishes his will through his people, through the prayers of his people from Old Testament into the New Testament. So we should be a people that are praying for God to work. We have a prayer list that goes out to members in our church who've opted to receive that text that goes out on Monday. We have a prayer list that you can, if you want things prayed for, you can go on our website to, uh, I think it's one of the tabs. If I had it off the top of my head, I'd tell you, but I don't. But it's somewhere in there. You scan all the tabs. You'll see pray. And you can put in a prayer request that goes to that list. We should do that because prayer matters. God accomplishes his will through the prayers of his people over and over and over again. And don't, I don't want us to miss that as we launch into the rest of this, that they've been praying for his deliverance. They've been praying for Paul. And he says, I'm going to be delivered. Now, that word delivered comes from the same Greek word uh, for saved, soteria. So this is saved. This is delivered. And the question is, okay, from what? from what are you going to be delivered? Is it what you were just talking about? Is it your imprisonment, that you're gonna be delivered from prison? Is he gonna have his Tim Robbins moment where he goes through the tunnel or the, the, what do you call those, pipes at Shawshank and gets out into the water and looks up in the sky and he is free, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm so sorry for you. If you've never seen Shawshank Redemption, first off, how dare you? Like just, you've missed out on something this is one of the top five movies if you have his tim robbins moment where he's just he's so excited to be he's going to be delivered Is that's what's happening here so some will argue that's happening others will say no he's actually he's moved on that was so verse 17 we're on to new and better things in these next few verses what he says is is that they will turn out for my this will turn out for my deliverance verse 20 as it is my eager expectation hope that i will not be at all ashamed but that With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Others will say, no, 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 he's moved on from imprisonment. He's talking about eternal deliverance. He's talking about death. He's talking about the fact that because he believes that Christ was crucified for his sin, and he put his faith in Christ, and because he put his faith in Christ, God the Father looks at Paul and says that he stands righteous because of the righteousness of Christ and not his own. Because Jesus died for him, he stands confidently waiting to go into the next life, waiting to be delivered into the next life where he will be with Christ for eternity. So some will say, no, it's it's more, that's what's happening here. I think the language here between two ideas, I think he's being a little bit vague and coy for a reason. I think he's kind of going with both. And when you read the rest of the passage, I think you'll see that he actually means both very practically as he works through this, that he does expect to, at some point, be released from this Roman imprisonment. And also, he is eager for what is next after this life, which he picks up in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We'll pause there. Verse 21 this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Like it is Shawshank Redemption top five level. Out of all the passages in the Bible, this, this right here is it. You can come back to it over and over again, and the deeper you wade into it, the more satisfying it actually is. Is to live as Christ to die as gain. Now, his basic argument is pretty easy to follow. If you're going to live, it is for Christ. If i'm going to live a life it is going to be for christ if i'm going to get out of this roman imprisonment and continue my ministry it's going to be for christ it's going to be fruitful labor is the language he uses in this passage which he'll further unpack in the verses that follow that means more churches planted that means more sinners saved that means more christians discipled if i'm going to live huge win if i'm going to die huge win because if i die i gain i gain eternity I get an eternal life with Christ. I depart this painful, broken, marred, sinful world, and I get to be with Christ, and that is far better. So here is why I think this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. It's hard to find a more succinct summary of what the Christian life looks like. Like this is the headline for the Christian life. And when I say headline, I mean like how headlines used to be. It used to be that you got a paper, and that paper was like a physical paper, and it smelt really good. And you would look and you'd see headlines, and the headline was a few words that summarized the whole article. You could read the headline and you'd get a general gist of where it was going. Nowadays, headlines are not that, they're clickbait. Sometimes they have nothing to do with what's in the article. It's just because journalism's lost complete ethic bearings and just. But it's just it, the actual headline, like what, what actually, like this is it. Like the old school headline, you see this to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's the Christian life. And there's a whole lot more that can be said about that when you read the rest of the scriptures. But you have that right there and you understand what it means to be. A Christian, that when you actually trust in the finished work of Jesus, when you trust in his perfect life and the righteousness that comes through that, that gets accredited to our account, when you trust in his death, that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and his blood covers me, when you trust in his resurrection, that I actually get to have a new life in Christ because death no longer has a grip on me and that he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he rules and reigns from and I get to serve him out of that hope. When you understand that, the rest of the Christian life is this. You put all your chips on that hope, on that reality. You don't hedge your bets. It's all in on Christ. And now, what? To live is Christ. To die is gain. So I want to spend some time digging into this phrase, because I think this phrase is unbelievably important if you understand what the best life is to live. So, let's take a look at the first part. To live is Christ. He goes on to say, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me now he's going to go on to unpack this in the next few verses and just say that this is serving your brothers and sisters in Christ this is in service of the church but that's what it means to live as Christ means to serve Christ to live is to serve that's the Christian life to live is to serve I went to a college called Presbyterian College and they had a, a a motto in latin it was called "Dum vivimus servimus which was while we live we serve and at one point i'm sure in the history of our college that was attached to christian values it's no longer a christian college not remotely close but just like harvard back in the day was founded as a seminary this was founded as a christian college back in the day and at some point someone made the connection that the life that you live in christ is one of service to live is christ if you're going to be a christian you're going to serve that is what it means to be a Christian and not only that that is the pinnacle of human existence you understand what the what the what the most maximized human life is Do you understand what the good life is the good life is one that is found in serving Christ but in a lot of different ways I think our actions and our desires reveal that we don't really celebrate that anthem that we don't really wholly embrace that idea and then if you're in a bit of a midlife or quarter life crisis, or you're just evaluating your time and you're trying to think through, what do I do with the life that I have left? Like Paul is saying, if I get out of prison, this is what I'm going to do. To live is this, that if we're posed the same question that says, if you had more time, if you had more time in this life, what are you going to do? What does your gut instinct say? What do your actions reveal? I think if we're honest, it might reveal a lot of things. That if I get more time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to maximize my time to make money. That I'm going to do what I can to make money because money means freedom to choose, freedom to do what I want Freedom for me, freedom for my family, it means a lot of things that I can gain in this life. This life is very temporary, and I need to maximize my life and the aim of my life in a way that maximizes how much money I can have in my bank account. I think for others, that if you had more time, that you'd be really focused on, I want to be able to find someone to do this life with. That I want to be able to find someone that I can journey through life that I love, that I want, I want that person And for others who even might be married now, might be just in a marriage that you're not happy with, and it's like, if I I, I want someone I can actually love and journey through life with to live is, if I had more time, I could just have this. If I had more time, I could have the perfect family. The right amount of kids who behave the just right amount of like all the things I want them to do that they would be involved in these sports and would be uh, uh, good at this aspect of school and would be able to have these type of careers. If I could just uh, have more time, I'd be able to establish that type of family. If I had more time, I would be able to establish the kind of the kind of career I want. but as you're thinking ahead primary focus is what kind of career I can have and the time I can put into that and the legacy that I can leave through that and the work that I do. If I had more time, I would just grow to be a person that is admired by others, that people would like me. And I could leave that type of legacy. If I had more time, I could live the kind of comfortable lifestyle that I want. I could ditch the car that I don't like. and improve the truck that I do like. I could live, uh, I could level up in the house that I have. I could have comforts. I could have the big screen TV. If I had more time, I could get happy. If I had more time, I could get healthy. I think the instinct within us, and I think the actions that we display would reveal a lot of different things, that if we had more time, it would be a focus on this, but to live would be this. And listen, I don't, I don't think that—I think having a good job and a, and a spouse and a sweet family and a, a career that you like and being liked by others and being able to afford steaks on the weekend, like i, I I think those are good things. And guess what? Christianity is not opposed to those things. So it's not a, a faith that's built on asceticism, this super righteous, over-the-top lifestyle. That's not what this is at all. But here's the thing. Those things are not the pinnacle of what it means to be a human. Those aren't the, 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 that's not what it means to live the good life. Not for the Christian at all. That's not what it means. That's not, that should not be the central aim of our lives. All of those things in our lives should be in joyful submission to the central aim of our life, and that life is one of serving Christ, which means that the money that we make is in service to Christ, that if you get a pay raise, it's like I... I God has blessed me with more so that I might not use it all on myself, That I might bless others. That I might see other people in our church family that are in difficult situations and be able to bless them, that I might be able to reformulate my budget so I can send more missionaries because ultimately my money is a means by which I get to serve Christ. That if God blesses me with a spouse, that means I get to be in a one flesh union that is in service to Christ, that if I'm currently in one, I get to rethink how our marriage is centered on the gospel so that our marriage can ultimately not serve my needs or even my spouse's needs but ultimately in service of Christ that if you choose a career or you decide to switch jobs that every one of those decisions is like, how do I submit this into service of Christ? How do I be a missionary in this workplace? How will choosing this uh, job help me serve the kingdom better? You can go on and on down the list. If I'm going to raise a family, it's going to be one that is centered on the idea and the truth that is beautiful to live is Christ, which means that I'm going to spend time with my children to help them understand that is the most important thing that could possibly ever understand and believe, which means that I'm gonna have make decisions as a father that says, maybe we don't do the travel ball team this year. And maybe I'm not impressing upon them that straight A's is the most important thing that you can do to have the career that you want. That I might even stretch them past bedtime on a night at community group Knowing good and well, when I get home at 830, they're going to be really tired and awful at six o'clock in the morning when I'm getting them ready. And the whole next day, they might be little tyrants, but it's for a purpose because ultimately I want them to understand that to live as Christ and that this is more important. We make decisions all the time that should be in service to Christ and should guide ourselves, our families towards the ultimate good life. That whatever comforts that whatever things God gives us in this life is in service to the ultimate aim that is to serve Christ, that we would lev- we would leverage every aspect of our lives towards making disciples and loving them brothers and sisters in Christ and doing just to be blunt whatever God wants you to do now sometimes when you put a big emphasis on that, there's a part of us, especially in our church where it 's we, we preach over and over again, that you're not saved by works. We beat that drum all the time, that you're not saved by your works. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by your works. For grace, you've been saved through faith. We hit that drum over and over again for a reason, because we need to understand that we trust in the perfect works of Christ on our behalf. And that record stands for us. You don't get into the kingdom of God by doing a bunch of good. So we'll hit that over and over again. But not at the expense of, you go to verse, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9, and verse 10, which says that we are his workmanship. That once you're in the kingdom of God, you're created for good works, which is not for you to get into heaven. It's for your neighbors, and it's for the advancement of his kingdom. I love how Paul puts some very similar ideas in this passage into Second Corinthians chapter 5, when he says in verse 8 and 9, yes, We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. See that similar language there? I'd rather rather be at home with the Lord, because that's my heavenly home. It's not here, it's there. I'd rather be at home with the Lord. Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. I don't want us to miss that. We don't please Him to get into heaven but we should make it our chief aim as Christians to say, how can I please him? How can I serve him? How how can I do this? And I think the problem for us as, as Americans, I think as American Christians, I think we're so drunk off of earthly blessings and earthly riches and earthly things that when the Bible confronts us on this, when it comes to us and says, you must live for christ you must please him you must obey him a part of us just goes Ugh, yeah i know but if i do that i'm gonna miss out on some things and i just i want to just brutally murder that idea from us ever believing that is true because it's the idea that enjoying The things of this world is somehow better than what Christ has to offer us. I I just want to kill that idea. If I took my child, if I took my son and I said, we're going to get ice cream and not just any ice cream, like we're going to the Big Bear in Five Points which I've been on keto for a month, and today is my first day off. And sometime this week, I'm going there because you can get ice cream, and they take gooey butter cookies, and they press it together into just, I mean, it's amazing and i'm like that's where we're going we're getting that it's like that's that's the that's the best we got in columbia we're going there and we're walking through five points and all of a sudden he sees a red shiny thing in the gutter and it's a one of those strawberry candies like the outside looks like a strawberry wrapper it's bright and shiny inside tastes like lip gloss you know what i'm talking about (laughs) and he darts to it he picks it up and he's like No, no no dad i found it we're good i'm gonna camp out here you go do whatever you want i don't have to walk that much further because I found what is going to satisfy me. I would smack it out of his hand. I would say, you're not enjoying this. No, 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 you don't understand, I want this. I'd smack it out of his hand again. i have to look around and make sure that nobody's going to call the police. (laughs) You leave that for the kids and Five Points coming off of USC campus. That's not what we're going to enjoy. We're going to the baked Bear. I know we got to walk a little further, son, but that's where we're going because once we get there, it's going to be good and it's gonna be better than that filth that I'm gonna stomp into the ground. No, that's what I do with my son. And that's what God's trying to help us see. Yeah, it's a little more effort to serve Christ. Takes a little farther to get there, but it's good. It's actually where goodness is found. It's unbelievably good. When you read Psalm 37, in Psalm 37 and verse 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and befriend faithfulness. He's saying, trust in God and in trusting him, serve him. Do good, befriend faithfulness. And then you get to verse 4 when it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which people have twisted out of context for their own purposes and said, yeah, delight in yourself in the Lord. He's going to give you whatever you want. It's like, no, no. Don't miss what it's sandwiched between. Verse three, do good. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. That ultimately, goodness is found in walking with our God and doing what he commands, A- and trusting in our Savior and then obeying him. That's where goodness is found. Not just goodness, you get to delight in God through that and delighting in God, who is the perfection of beauty, who is wonderful, is good. Serving Christ is not drudgery. It's not, it's not a boring life, no matter how much it gets depicted in movies or in TV, the Christians live a boring life, it's not. Service of Christ is not drudgery, that is a lie. You ask anyone who has followed Christ for decades, They've pursued them in word and prayer regularly. They have been obedient to make disciples. They have entered into the baptism waters, and they have seen people testify that Christ has changed them. Because they got to be vessels of that being used to declare the gospel to them. You listen to their stories of how they helped other Christians get out of debt, of how they helped walk with other brothers and sisters in discipling them. You ask them if they wish they had spent the last few decades doing something different. That they would have, would, you, would you have rather spent your time on endless amount of hobbies, pursuing meaningless sex? Would you rather have watched a bunch more shows and binged a bunch more series? Would you have rather gone to a bunch of really fancy parties and gotten sloshed? is that what you have rather have done with your time if you ask them that question they're going to look at you sideways they're going to look at you like have you have you lost your mind absolutely not because they've experienced what it means to delight in Christ through service they know what it means to walk with their God and out of walking with their God, serving others, they have experienced that. And that's better, as we say every Sunday morning, better than everything else. And they believe that. Yet, when I talk to people who have spent their years, spent the last decade pursuing empty pursuits, chasing after worldly things, I hear, I'm, so- I'm tired, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm burnout." out because those things don't actually ever satisfy, because that's not where true joy is found. To live as Christ is where true joy is found. Service of Christ is not drudgery, it is joy. And when we realize that and believe that, we become the living sacrifice that God has called us to be. Then we tap into a greater form of joy that is better than anything this world has to offer. So when he says to live as Christ, of course I'm going to keep doing this. What else would I rather be doing? This is it. And that's why he can so freely say in the next breath, to die is gain. Death is gain. Because he knows, if I die, it's promotion to the big leagues. I'm going to eternity. And that is far better. And I think the problem for us, is that so many of us are tempted to squeeze every ounce out of this life, to squeeze every ounce of earthly pleasure out of this life, that we can't even see that that's better. That I think that if many of us were told that you were going to die younger than you thought, it would be scary and it would be sad. And Paul just doesn't have that mindset. He's so freed up in believing in Christ and understanding eternity and that this life is a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean of time that's spent in eternity and how much better that is. He's so grounded in that idea. He says, if you kill me good, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get where I want to go faster, where I will behold the face of God, where I won't have the stain of this body and its brokenness and its pain and its suffering, where I won't be in, sl- I won't be, I won't struggle with sin anymore. Yeah, I'll take that all day long. He says, yet which, I shall, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two to live, to die. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He's not suicidal, y'all. That's not what's happening here. He just understands eternity for what it is. And he's just being honest. He's like, I'm hard-pressed. I know that I should, I got more to, I got more to do, but man, I want that because that's better. And if you've ever heard stories, you've been around Christians who've walked with the Lord for years and they have a terminal illness, there's a part of them that's sad because they're gonna leave a wife or a husband behind and they're gonna leave kids behind and that's painful because death stings and that's painful but if you press in and you ask but but are you are you excited about being with Christ and that face just turns and it's like yeah I am I'm really looking forward to that I believe our calculations are off if we think there's less reward in serving Christ and I think our calculations are off if we fear death. We should live every day to serve Christ in any way that He desires, and we should see the joy in doing that, because it is wonderful. And then when God calls us to be home with Him, we're ready for the game that awaits us. That's what Paul's articulating here. Now, when you see how he's talking around this, you see he's somewhat convinced, I would argue. He's somewhat convinced that he's still got more work to do. And the history behind this is, is that there's a few historical resources outside the Bible that say that he got out of this imprisonment and he ended up in Spain, which is when you read the book of Romans where he wanted to go and take the gospel. Now, we don't know that for a complete fact, whether he did that or whether this really was the last imprisonment. I lean towards looking at this text and realizing that I think he expects to get out and that he expects he has more work to do And you get a glimpse of that mindset when you go through verse 24 and 26, which was what we close out with today. He says, 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So I think from this that he he thinks he's getting out. Regardless of where where you land on that, his mindset is, if I get out, when I get out, it is for your progress and joy in the faith. That's what he says. The way I get to live is Christ. The way I get to serve Christ is for your progress and joy in the faith. Later in chapter 2, he's going to talk about himself as a, being poured out like a drink offering, which is sacrificial language from the Old Testament, that he gets to be a sacrifice for their benefit. He gets to be a sacrifice for their joy and progress in the faith. That's what it means to serve Christ, brothers and sisters, that you leverage your life in service of Christ for the good of one another, for the joy and progress of the people in this room, to know and love and enjoy Christ. We do that first by remembering Jesus and a sacrifice for us. What he did on our behalf, what he went to the cross for us, we look at that sacrifice and out of that and realizing the mountain of debt that he paid for, that our sin that put him there, out of that we overflow into worship. And we say and try to leverage our lives to say, how can I serve? others, that I might help them have joy in Christ, progress in their faith in Christ. That's what it means to live as Christ. And that looks like the group leaders we have in our church family that are laying it on the line for their groups, and when group gets hard and it gets messy and it gets tiresome, you look to Christ and you say, Thank you, Jesus, you serve me. I'm going to serve others too. And I'm going, to, I'm going to persevere in this. And the joy that's found in the hardship of doing that is watching people taste and see that the Lord is good and watching sinners be saved and watching marriages be restored and watching... People understand what it means to truly serve Christ and to give themselves away. This happens when a brother or sister sits down with someone who is hurting another brother or sister, maybe for hours, maybe for days, maybe for weeks, and just sits with them, serving them. Because it's for not my own good, it's for the good of others, and it's for their joy and for their progress in the faith. So yeah, this is a, a negative situation, and it's got negativity within it, but I press into that reality because it's worth them knowing and enjoying loving Christ. This means leveraging your hospitality for others, which is hard, because I don't know if you bought groceries lately, but like two bags is a 100 bucks, and I, we feel it, and it's like, man, I... <laughs> i mean i just, we're, we can we do hot dogs like i just you can by the way um it's like I, you're leveraging this I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna put this in my budget i am put this in my mindset that i'm gonna give up time and money for others to invite unbelievers into my house to invite other christians into my house because it's good because it's ultimately for their joy and progress and the faith this means hear this this means sticking it out with people that are described as messy Or even toxic man there's there's so much of an ideology going around right now that says if you got messy people in your life you got toxic people in your life you draw this boundary and that's your circle and they can't get in the circle because if they get inside the circle that's a problem because self-care is pinnacle at this moment you got to care for yourself So they can't be let in. And what I'm not saying is, is that you don't keep in mind that you don't give you all of your energy and all of your time to messy people, but you go to the gospels and you show me a time when Jesus drew a boundary around himself and said, these messy people can't get in and you ain't gonna find it. You know what he did do with messy people, with hurting people, he spent time with his heavenly father and he got away from the crowds and he was filled up so that he could serve others well. And I just want to, again, murder the mindset. A lot of murder language, sorry. I want to destroy the mindset that says I can't serve others because I have to only care for myself. It's the opposite of the gospel. To live is Christ. Whatever that is, fill in the blank. To live is serving Christ and leveraging our lives for others' joy and for others' progress in the faith. And we do it over and over again because we ultimately believe that Jesus is better over and over again. And that in and through those labors and those efforts, we get to see other people, as he says in this passage, have ample opportunities to glorify Christ, ample cause to glorify Christ. So brothers and sisters, we leverage our lives for mission. We leverage our lives to loving one another well, for the good of one another's. And we do it over and over and over again. And we give ourselves away. Because ultimately, we get to help others experience joy and progress. And in that labor, even when it is hard, we experience joy that is found in Him. Because that level of joy is only found in the service of others. So that means we need to be honest about how we'd answer that question to live is what? That we should be honest about what we are basing our hope in this life on but what we think the good life is to live is what and if that answer isn't christ then we say i submit this to you jesus and i put it at your feet and you change my heart and you help me repent and you help me to live is for you for the good of others and for the progress in the faith until christ calls us home again i'm at the halfway point with my oldest and i've only got a few years of really primary influence in her life before she leaves the home and i so want the next nine plus years just to say and embody in her to live is christ baby girl to live is christ and to die is gain that's the christian life because i want her to be able to go into the world and see money not as a god but as a tool and she's like I'm just, so that one day she'll say This is just a tool and i won't be anxious about this i'm not going to be needing to hoard all of this but i will live for the good of others and i will leverage my finances for the sake of others that if god does call her into a marriage one day and she has a husband that they will enter into a godly marriage that is in service of others that she chooses a job But it's ultimately going to be, how can I serve Christ in this job? If she chooses to spend her time, she says, I'm going to serve Christ as God blesses her with children, that one day she's going to raise them in service of Christ and enjoying him. And God willing, is going to live a long life, and I'm going to beat her to eternity. And then one day at the end of her life, a legacy of serving others She's just ready, and she's ready to go home. And she's ready to depart this world because what awaits her is eternal gain. And I will get to be there and welcome her there and invite her and we'll celebrate. And then for the years that follow, I get to see person after person after person after person who enter into the kingdom of God because she leveraged her life to live is Christ and saw death as only gain. That is the life i want for her that's the life i want for all my kids that's the life i want for myself and that's the life that i want for every person in this church to live a life that is for christ and doesn't cling to this world because ultimately death is better because we gain him let me pray heavenly father i pray that you might break within us a love for this world that we might not cling to anything that it has to offer but we might truly submit our lives to you to be in service to you because that eternally better that's where joy is found and my heart doesn't want to believe that it wants to cling to the things of this world may you break that within me so that I might embody what it means to live as Christ that our church family that is struggling with loving the things of this world whatever that might be that you might break within them a heart for others that comes out of loving you and serving others. May you help us be able to answer this question faithfully, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if there's anyone here that has not trusted in you, that this is not the central aim of their life at all, I pray that you would help them see that this world is not worth it and that pursuing the things of this world is not worth it. But they would go all in on you, and they would live for you, so that ultimately one day death may be gained. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's going to come up. We're going to take prepare to take the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. He took the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is my blood that was shed for you, that as often as you eat and drink this, you proclaim my death until I return. And we are a people that regularly come to the table of a meal that signifies death, it signifies the death of Christ, but also through faith in Christ, death to ourselves, which means that in the moments as you prepare to take the Lord's Supper, as a Christian, you get to look at the things that we might say to live is what, and we might fill that in and bring that before Christ, and that we might... Repent joyfully, how begrudgingly? joyfully that we'd come to the table joyfully and say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for my own selfish ambition, for my own selfish desires. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for this so that I might joyfully be able to spend what the, this meal also points to, eternity, the final meal that we enjoy with Christ forever, that as a people between those two realities, we get to live a, a life that is for Christ, expecting that one day death enters into game. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted completely in the finished work of Christ, please don't come to the table. this is not a meal for you. What I want for you right now is to contemplate and to think that if you've banked your hope, if you've banked your life on anything outside of Christ, if you're honest with yourself and you're like, I don't—no, I've never done that. I've actually never believed. My hope is that you would surrender to Jesus now because He's good, and living a life for Christ is good, and it's joy-filled, and it's wonderful, and ultimately it ends an eternal game. But that can't happen unless you surrender in faith, and I pray that you would now. So when you are ready, come to the table with Gluten-Free in that back corner over there. If you want to know more about this, if you want to know what it means to trust in Christ and surrender your life to Him, grab me, grab another pastor, and we would happily walk you through the gospel, and what it means to believe and trust in Him, and see that He is better. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would.